Welcome to Rewriting the High Street with me, Catherine Price. Chapter 1. The State of the High Street. Hi, I'm Catherine Price and I'm the Business Improvement District Manager or Bid Manager for Blackburn Town Centre in the northwest of England. This is a brand new podcast series about high streets where I'm looking at the issues and challenges facing our town and city centres, how they've been impacted by the pandemic and what's being done to revitalise, reimagine and rewrite the high street. In this first episode, I want to look at how our high streets were faring before the pandemic and how COVID-19 has affected and changed them. I want to see how we measure how our high streets are doing and whether those town and city centres which were doing well before the pandemic are in a stronger position for recovery. Through the chapters, we'll focus in on specific challenges and potential solutions, including dealing with the closure of a major department store, sleeping rough and homelessness, arts and cultural regeneration and the experiential high street. this podcast to be positive. It's not about criticising or complaining, it's about listening, learning and sharing ideas. As part of this positivity, I want to know what people have learned, either professionally or personally, which they're taking forwards into the future. For me, I've learned to stop doing everything at 100 miles an hour, to slow down a little and that I don't need to put myself under constant pressure in order to feel like I'm doing a good job and working hard. But who am I and why am I doing this podcast? Well, I've worked as a bid manager for just over two years. And before that, I was a town centre manager for two very different town centres in East Lancashire for over three and a half years. I've previously worked in regeneration and neighbourhood management for 10 years after changing my career from being a solicitor. Because to be honest, I hated that job and it was making me ill. The main positive from that job was that I met my now husband of 11 years. I'm proud to be Blackburn Town Centre Bid Manager and I absolutely love my job. It gives me the opportunity to make a difference and it's also a job which changes from hour to hour, day to day, and so it's never boring. Every bid manager I've ever met is as passionate as me about their bid area and they love what they do too. I've wanted to create a podcast about high streets for some time so that I can explore some of the amazing work that's going on around the country to transform our town and city centres and share it with anyone like me who's interested. The pandemic and our recovery from it has made this subject all the more relevant and important and so it's given me the impetus to get started. I really hope you'll find this podcast interesting and informative. If you've got any issues that you'd like me to address during the course of the series or questions you'd like me to try and answer, please drop me a line at rewritingthehighstreet at gmail.com. I thought I'd start as I'm a bid manager by explaining a bit more about what exactly a business improvement district or bid is and what a bid manager does. So, Business improvement districts are business-led partnerships created by a ballot process. There's three elements to them. 
You've got the business bit, which means that they are set up in a commercial area. You've got the improvement part, which means that they deliver projects and services which benefit the businesses in that area and which are over and above what's already delivered by public sector organisations. And then you've got the district because business improvement districts cover a defined geographical area. I'm a bid manager, which means it's my job to deliver those projects and services in accordance with the priorities that have been set by the businesses in my area, which is Blackburn Town Centre. So for me, uh, our priorities are marketing and promoting the town centre, making it safer and more secure, and making it cleaner, greener and more sustainable. Those are similar priorities to other bids throughout the country. The process of setting up a bid in a particular area usually begins with a feasibility study. So that's consulting with businesses in a particular area to establish what are the concerns and issues of the businesses in that area that they'd like to see addressed by a bid. Would they be broadly in favour of a bid being set up to address those issues and concerns? And what kind of levy income could be collected from the businesses and is that enough then to deal with those challenges and make improvements in that area? If the conclusion of a feasibility study is that a bid would be beneficial in an area and is feasible, then this goes to a ballot for businesses to vote to decide whether a bid is set up. All potential bid members, that's those who would be liable to pay the levy if one is set up, are eligible to vote and the ballot is carried out over at least a 28-day period. A successful vote is one that has a simple majority both in votes cast and in rateable value of votes cast. If the vote is successful and a business improvement district is set up, it'll typically run for five years, which is the maximum period it can run for, and a levy is charged on all businesses within the business improvement district area, regardless of whether or how that business voted in the ballot. It's up to the bid then to deliver the project services and benefits which they detailed in their business plan. It's important to say that not everyone is in favour of bids. It's hard for a business coming to an area where a bid has already been established, as it's an extra cost they might not have factored into their business plan at a time when their expenditure will already be high and they didn't have a say in setting it up in the first place. Some businesses think it's just an extra business tax when businesses are taxed enough. Others think it's charging for services that used to be covered by local councils and the government through council and business tax. It can also be hard for some businesses to receive the full benefit of being a bid member. Ultimately, bids priorities will tend to focus on ways to attract people into the bid area and encourage them to spend time so that they then spend money in those businesses. But businesses like professional services don't rely on footfall in the same way and they might not experience the same issues of safety, security, retail crime, and they might not directly benefit from some of the services provided by bids. There are very vocal oppositions to bids online, and a quick search led me to a social media group where members share their complaints and concerns, and in some cases actively campaign against bids being set up or renewed in an area. Some of the arguments here are that bids are just agents for the local council, that the bid boards aren't democratically elected and therefore don't represent the wider bid businesses, 
and that they've not been sympathetic to businesses in crisis through the pandemic, still demanding levies and even taking businesses to court. Now, I've been talking about bids to explain a bit more about my role um, and so that you've got a bit more of an understanding about how bids work. Um, But this podcast isn't about me advocating on behalf of bids or trying to tell you that they're the answer. As I've explained, there are many people that are opposed to to bids um, and don't think that they do a good job. And I have tried to put some of those arguments across. So please don't email me to tell me that I'm wrong um, or to tell me that bids are rubbish um, because I, I don't want this podcast to get caught up in in that debate this is about showcasing the amazing work that's going on around the country to support high streets and their businesses also bids aren't the only organizations that deliver improvements to a place you've got town and city center managers regeneration and economic development teams place management consultants as well as businesses themselves voluntary organizations and the local community. The best case scenario is that all those with an influence in and an impact on an area work together for the benefit of that place and that they don't adopt a one-size-fits-all approach. So now let's look at how we measure how our high streets, town and city centres are performing and what that information tells us about how places are recovering from the pandemic. One of the ways we measure how a town or city centre is performing is through footfall. We know that the more people that visit a place, the more they will spend in local businesses We also know that the longer people spend in a place, the more they spend in local businesses. So it's really important to monitor that data, which shows how many people are coming into your high street. A company called Springboard is the leading provider of retail data analytics, retail traffic counting and customer sentiment tracking for leading brands, shopping centres and high streets worldwide. I recently caught up with Diane Whirl, who is Marketing and Insights Director and co-founder of the company. Diane specialises in delivering intelligence and insights on both current retail performance and long-term retail trends. She's been on BBC and Sky News over the course of the pandemic, so I was delighted that she was able to make the time to chat to me. Thank you so much for oh you're welcome that's brilliant of you tell me about springboard and what your role is diane yes springboard was founded in 2002 by myself and our ceo steve booth um the business provides insights on the performance of destinations and stores by understanding footfalls so that's the volume of customer activity and movement of customers around destinations um so that's our key thing it's about bricks and mortar retail and in destinations and in stores And why is it important that we monitor footfall and and what does it tell us about a place? I mean, footfall is a critical measure of the performance of a destination. Without people, you don't have spend. Um, And what it's telling us is that the more footfall there is, the more attractive a place is and more in demand it is from consumers. Um, And the more attractive it is and the more demand there is, the more consumers will visit. So, of course, 
stores and businesses within destinations need those consumers to thrive. Um, so, of course, visitors do come for different reasons. They come to work and they come to study. Uh, so not all visitors will spend money whilst they're in the town. But we know that um, from research that we've undertaken at Springboard, that there's a very high correlation between footfall in a place and sales in store. Um, around a, a correlation around that 78%. So that's a very strong relationship between the two. So businesses need footfall. And how's the pandemic affected the services that you provide and what have you changed to respond to it and, and support towns and cities? I mean, it's interesting throughout the pandemic because it's actually increased the demand for our services at Springboard. Um, obviously, none of us has ever been through a pandemic. So we have or had no absolutely no idea as to what the impact of the pandemic would be on destinations and even will be ultimately on destinations due to changes in consumer habits and behaviours that are going to come out the back of it. So what we track footfall continuously, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And what that is helping us to understand, and that's in virtual real time. So we're producing data by hour of the day, 24 hours a day. What it's telling us is the degree of that impact where it's falling and the rate of change in consumer habits and behavior. And so that allows destinations to be able to implement the, the most appropriate interventions that deliver the greatest return on investment. And some of the differences in the developments we've gone through at Springboard around helping destinations maximize their ROI are things like looking at live counting. So we produce data every hour of every day and before COVID and still, we produce that on a daily basis. But actually what we've been able to do is adapt our data delivery to produce that data live. So it's coming through as a, as a live stream. So in a town and a city, when you're looking at uh, possible bunching of consumers and shoppers in certain areas, by looking at the data in a live way, you're able to clear that bunching and disperse it through ambassadors and through support in the town. And so that, that means that consumers are feeling more confident and less scared about coming into destinations. And, and which places were doing well in terms of footfall prior to the pandemic? And, and what were some of the key factors that influenced how successful they were? I mean, I think we all knew really that it was the largest cities that were doing best before the pandemic. So across the UK, on an annual basis, footfall was dropping around about 2% a year across all the high streets. And that's been fairly consistent across the, the past decade. But the rate of decline in big cities was less than in smaller high streets. So some smaller high streets were seeing quite large declines, not all of them, um, but cities as general in general were seeing less of a decline. And the key differential there was critical mass. I mean, it is critical mass. So the blend of retail, leisure, experience and business in the city centre meant that the large city centres were able were able to offer that blended experience and trip that consumers craved. Um, come the pandemic, the reverse was true. We all stayed close to home and we rediscovered our local high streets, whilst larger cities lost proportionally more footfall as not only did tourism disappear, but of course we, we all worked from home. Um, I, so one of the many unknowns is the degree to which we'll return to pre-pandemic trends and to a large degree that will depend on how we work moving forward um, as office workers are so important to footfall yeah and particularly and that's where the um the bigger cities have seen the the biggest decline isn't it because they've not got the office workers that then support 
the food and drink businesses, you know, lunch times, after work, but also many of them were, were living in the um, city centres as well, weren't they? Absolutely. And I think we're seeing some changes around living. You know, people are thinking about do they need to continue to live in the city centre or can they get better value by selling and moving out of town and coming back in when they want to and work, you know, if they're only working in their office two days a week. Um, we are tracking at Footfall the, the footfall across different days and across different times of the day to see the, the trends that are occurring as a consequence of this, of our new working lives, really. And we haven't seen any significant massive shifts yet, but we have seen slight incremental shifts around evening economy and weekday. But I think this is a sort of a slow burn because I think we're still still holding our breath with regard to how we're going to work in the future. Um, it's, it's very, very early stage yet as to whether we'll, we'll go back to our offices part time, full time or not at all. And I think we'll see some real changes, particularly in the run up to Christmas, as to how people use city centres. Companies are, are, are being cautious, taking it carefully, re-looking at their office space. Um, some uh, companies may actually opt for larger space to make sure that they've got enough room for people to come back and feel more secure. Others may downsize. And all of this will impact our city centres. And you know, people may decide if they were hybrid working to come in more in the evening. So when they are in the office, they may extend their day, go out for lunch or dinner and go see a show or a film go shopping in the evening. So retailers may need to look at whether they stay open later. They may come back more at the weekend. You know, and Saturday and Sunday may become even more important than shopping days because they simply can't get back into the city during the week if they're working at home so much. So these are the changes we're, we're watching very carefully to see whether that will actually change. The greatest weight of footfall, the greatest volume of footfall has always been the daytime period, the nine to five period. Um, and I think that will continue um, because clearly, you know, who's going to shop at 11 o'clock at night? But, you know, <clears throat> the, it's, 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 it's almost at the bell ends of the day. You know, will it be the early morning and the late afternoon? And perhaps lunchtime will be more in demand than it was because people will leave their homes and go out for a bit of a break during the day rather than have a late lunch in the office. You know, those sorts of subtle, subtle changes will impact business. And really important to monitor it, to start to get an understanding of how people's habits and, and routines are changing so that then places can respond accordingly. Um, I mean, there's lots of discussion about, well, we should be encouraging people to come back in to the workplace so that they can support the town and city centres. But I kind of think, well, isn't it the place of, or the purpose of town and city centres to meet the needs of its community as opposed to the other way around. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a, there, there's, there's a real interplay there, isn't it? Because mm. uh, without people coming in, the, the town and city centre can't adapt because there isn't yeah. the demand, and yet they're not going to adapt if there isn't a demand. So, um, you know, it, it's a really tricky one, but you're right. You know, at the town city centre needs to be a reflection of the needs of the community. Yeah. And if that is about supporting hybrid working, then that will inevitably come out the back of it and that will happen. Exactly. And it's about evolving, isn't it? And, it, and it's those places that can evolve to meet those needs that will survive. But by no means am I suggesting that that's an easy... Oh. No, no, not at all. And I think the pandemic was a very sharp and I suppose in the, in the evolution of life and, and society's short change, but actually it's a very severe change. You know, it's been a real... 
um, it's a real stopgap for us all. You know, we've really, we've never had anything like this in our, in our living memories. Um, even war continued, you know, largely the same as it had done. People still went to their offices. Um, and, you know, we haven't had a war for 60 or 70 years. So this has been the biggest change we, we've seen in our lifetimes. And so there will be a hangover of this for a long time. A sharp, sharp shark that leads yeah. reverberations for years, if not longer. Absolutely. And it will change cultural cult feel and culture of, of work and um, of leisure and of business. You know, I think there has been a, um, you know, you talk to people and there's greater appreciation of work-life balance and about the opportunity to work at home. Um, and we were very bound up as a society, really, in being in the office five days a week, being seen on the stairs with a piece of paper in your hand at eight o'clock, you know, those sorts of things. And I think people have now um, accepted that actually you don't, you don't need that to be efficient. And lots of people who are probably doubters about the working at home efficiency have been converted because it actually does work. And people are very committed. Productive and can do it because they, yeah there was always the the joke wasn't it that oh well if you're working from home you'll have the telly on in the background and you'll just be constantly making brews and and dipping into food from the fridge and, absolutely um, actually people have been really productive haven't they and in some cases more productive just because it suits them better because they are able to have that that better balance and that i would put me in that category i think i do really benefit from um, having that better work-life balance. I think what we do miss, and I think what will impact on retail is the collaboration. And I think that will start to come back. I think people realise if you're away from your team for a long time, um, you miss that sort of binding and essence that you get when you see each other. But I think we will adapt as 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 consumers and as employees to that, and we will find ways around that. And I think what will happen is, of course, the offering town centres will adapt to that. It will probably be offering more collaborative opportunities. So coffee shops will probably have, or I will hope they have, space for people to collaborate and work, you know, as well as drink coffee. You know, everything that looks terribly black and bleak at one point yeah. will always offer an opportunity. Um, and there will be demands that, you know, from consumers that were never around before. And, you know, even when I mean, we've already seen it, you know, even the fashion um, and the demand for fashion has shifted in a year. You know, I think, you know, we are far less formal now. If you see everyone in a town centre or a city centre now, people are dressed much more informally. Um, and there's an acceptance that you don't have to dress formally necessarily so much anymore when you're in the office. So that's the tip of the iceberg, really. And that's the most visible bit of change. But there's all sorts of other changes that are taking place. So uh, what was the impact on footfall in towns and cities as we came out of lockdown last year in the summer and then the run up to Christmas? Did all places see the same levels of increase? I mean, I think we all knew that larger cities were faring best. So they they were doing well. And then after the pandemic, as we came out of the pandemic, the reverse was true. We all stayed close to home. We rediscovered our local high street and larger cities lost proportionately more footfall as tourism had completely disappeared and we were working from home. I suppose one of the, the biggest unknowns is whether it, we will return to pre-pandemic trends, whether regional cities will bounce back. And to a large degree, that will depend on how we work moving forward as, as office workers are so important. Um, some places did better than others, inevitably. You know, footfall is hugely sensitive to the introduction of restrictions last year. And we recorded at Springboard enormous swings in footfall where we went into and then out of lockdown. I mean, the week that we came out of the last lockdown, the footfall went up by nearly 90% across all 
destinations and over 100% in high streets in one week compared to the week before. So, you know, people were desperate to get back out there. But the key enduring trend has been the greater resilience of our smaller high streets compared to our larger cities. Because as even when we came out of lockdown, employees were continuing to work from home and we still haven't got international tourism back. So those larger cities that depend on those two key characteristics and those two key aspects are still much more compromised than our, than our smaller high streets. And so then you've touched on it there a bit. So this year, um, as we've uh, relaxed restrictions, it's the, is it still the smaller places that are re- recovering well? I mean, it's interesting now because we're starting to see a very subtle shift in trends because we've not been able to travel abroad nearly as much as we would normally do. Staycations have been the key trend of 2021. And I think everyone's either been going to Cornwall or to Norfolk. Mm -hmm. Um, So coastal towns have performed really well. But despite the fact that quite a lot of us are still continuing to work for at least part of the week at home, footfall in large cities has started to strengthen a little bit. So we've seen this uptick in footfall, nothing like we were at 2019. So the level is still very much below, but people are venturing out to larger towns, either back to the office, maybe for one or two days a week, or for going into the city for a day visit, particularly during the summer period when the schools have been off. But market towns, you know, and they comprise our smaller high streets. They're still faring proportionally better than large city centres in the round. Um, And I think part of that has been the new habits that consumers have, have formed and they're starting to realise and recognise the opportunity of shopping locally, which they never did do or could do before because they were never local. They were always commuting to their offices. Yeah, so that's been really beneficial. And we, we're talking about it now, we're at the high street, but it's been a hot topic for many years before the pandemic. But have you seen an increase in media interest in the high street and footfall since the start of the pandemic? Oh, yes. I mean, there's been, always been a significant interest in the high street by the media. Um But of course, the uncertainty around the future of retail business and retail business is so important for our economy means that the media want to understand what the outcome for stores and destinations is likely to be. I mean, no one would have, for example, ever anticipated that central London would be the hardest hit of any location in the UK. So understanding how and why that has come about and what the future may hold to the capital, which, of course, is what they call the powerhouse of retail, is a huge interest to the media. You know, and it comes back to what's driving our economy, you know. But at the same time, the role and success of other towns and cities around the UK is also really critical. You know, Northern Powerhouse, really, really vital. What's happening in Manchester and Leeds and Liverpool. And we're in a period of unprecedented change. And and we've talked about it, but it's almost that the reset button has been pressed. So will that deliver long-lasting change in our retail destinations? That's the question we're going, we're being asked already and will be continue to be asked as we move through to 2022. The good thing about our data is because we're seeing it come through on a daily basis, when the trends start to happen, we're picking up on them really early. So we're not having to wait for the end of a quarter or the end of a trading year. We're seeing it day by day. So we're, for example, able to pick up on this little uptick we're seeing in regional cities, whereas a lot of other data sets and metrics can't identify that until sort of three or six months down the line. It's actually reflecting real behaviour. It's not a proxy so mm. for behaviour. So, for example, you know, people look at car park data and public transport data in the hope of getting an understanding of how people are moving around and how they're shopping and working. Actually, footfall data 
is the real McCoy. It is what is happening in the town centre and the city centres. So that's why it's absolutely valuable. It's telling us what is actually happening on the ground. And um, has the pandemic increased the number of places that Springboard are providing services to? And and are you finding that place managers are more keen to measure how well they're performing and have that comparison data? Oh, yes. I mean, it's interesting because even before the pandemic, our, our data set comprises a huge number of towns and cities. Um, I would guess probably about 280 or so towns and cities around the UK, and that includes all of our major regional set cities and also the towns and cities that support those regional cities in each of our geographies. So even before the pandemic, the correlation between our data and spend across the UK was 90%. And what we've been doing since then, of course, is the smaller towns are going, oh, actually, we really need to understand what's happening in our town. And we don't have any other data. So a lot of the smaller places really don't have car parking data that's very robust, certainly don't have public transport data because many of them aren't on the main rail network. And so there isn't anything for them to look at and get a, an indication of how that town is performing. The only way they can do it without footfall data is to look at what stores are open and what stores are closing down. But of course, a store could remain open and be trading really poorly because footfall has declined. But you can't tell that just by looking at the fact that the store is trading, uh, which is why it's always been my caveat around about just using vacancy rates as an indicator of, um, of performance of a place. So footfall is, is absolutely key. And it's also key for small places. As you said, Catherine, that dy dynamism around the data it enables people to respond very quickly. And if they're doing something in the town that they think should be working and they're not seeing the positive impact and the positive change that they envisage that would come about from that, they can change very quickly and they have the evidence to back that up rather than just guessing. And then moving on to um, things we've learned as a result of the pandemic, what's one positive thing you've learned, either professionally or personally, as a result of the pandemic that you will take forwards with you? Ultimately, it comes down to the fact that we should never take things for granted. I think we all assumed that nothing could disrupt our way of life, that we would, as a society, um, be resilient and be able to weather um, any storm that came our way. And nothing would change the way we did things. Um, and I think that was completely blown out of the water by, by the pandemic. Yeah, fundamentally, we had to change the way we lived our lives. And We've learned to adapt to that in a very short space of time. Luckily, we have the technology now to enable us to do that um, because we previously might not have been able to do it. But actually, personally, I think we've all been pretty um, adaptive and responsive to that. It's been tough. For me personally, it's been very tough. Um, in my immediate family, we've had not actually non-COVID-related illness and bereavement, which dealing with that alongside covid uh, restrictions has been really really tough um but you know we've gotten through it um and i think moving forward it teaches you to treasure those small freedoms that are previously took for granted perhaps and also shows you that you're stronger than you thought you were as well because of what we've been able to deal with absolutely i mean you know you only find out your strength when you're pushed to the very limit yeah. um and, you know, you, you just have to dig deep and get on with it. And, you know, there are a lot, I've had you know, a really tough year through, as I said, illness and bereavement, but so have a lot of other people. And I think actually, you know, being able to um, 
have sympathy and empathize with people i think that has actually been a positive thing people are more empathetic than perhaps they were um and more understanding of people than perhaps we were before i've really enjoyed that and found that really interesting thank you very much oh it's my pleasure catherine i've, I've really enjoyed it too so grateful to Diane for speaking to me. She really does have fantastic insight into the state of the high street but what's clear is that there's still a lot of unknowns. To what extent will we return to pre-pandemic habits? Will we go back to the office full-time or on a more hybrid basis? Will we continue to appreciate shopping local and supporting local businesses? Will we staycation more or will we travel around the world as soon as restrictions are lifted? These are all questions we'll only be able to answer over time and by monitoring activity, behaviours and tracking trends using data like footfall data which clearly tells us a lot about a place. Now let's look at how the pandemic has affected one of our cities. The historic city of Lancaster is a good place to start, being a city which shares many characteristics of other city centres, having a large student population and being a tourist destination. But with a compact city centre and a high number of independent businesses, it's also similar to large towns like Blackburn. I caught up with fellow bid manager Tony Johnson to find out how Lancaster is recovering from the pandemic. Before I start the recording, I would just say I'm sorry about the sirens. Being new to podcasting, I hadn't realised I should have paused at that point and started again. So I hope that it doesn't spoil you listening too much. Thanks so much for chatting to me. No problem. Could you, Tony, describe Lancaster City Centre for anyone who's never been before? So, Lancaster City Centre for me... Quite beautiful. It's quite pretty, actually. I mean, I, I've lived around here all my life and, and sometimes you take things for granted. But a lot of the time it's visitors that remind you how, how nice it is. The architecture is very nice. There's a lot of heritage in Lancaster. Other sort of unique selling points. It's got a lot of independent businesses. I think it's something like 65 percent of the businesses in the city are independently owned. And we also have a, a really good, different selection of, of pubs. Again, for the size of city we are, I think we have over 40 drinking establishments. And again, uh, many of them are independently owned. So, uh, yeah, it's it's quite an interesting, when I say it's a city, it is a city, but it's a small one. So it's easy to get around as well. Do you find that there's a lot of pride in Lancaster? Are people proud to say that they're, they're from Lancaster? I don't think enough of us are. And, and what I tend to find, people like myself born and bred, again, we take it for granted and we, we don't appreciate it but I think where you get a lot of pride from people are actually people that move to the area and, and have stayed in the area and they they seem to love it and champion it a lot more than than sort of people have been here a lot so it's a little bit mixed Catherine I don't know if that's the same as other areas in the country but yeah I always find it a bit weird yeah. having said that I, I do know lots of people that sort of were brought up around here move away for whatever reason and then come back because they miss it so yeah I suppose I suppose it's like anywhere a little bit mixed yeah and tell me about Lancaster City Bid so how long have you been bid manager and how long has it been in place 
Yeah, Lancaster bid. I've been here just over two years, um, having spent 20 years in commercial radio, um, and I used to actually deal with Lancaster bid, so um, I knew a little bit about it. Um, the actual organisation started just over eight years ago, um, so we've just successfully won our ballot for a third term, so we'll uh, definitely be going till at least 2026 and, and hopefully beyond. That's brilliant news, so a third term for the bid. Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I think it's um, yeah, I think it's it's established now in Lancaster, Catherine. Again, you, you probably hear it from other bid managers. In the early days, I just don't think people or businesses, certainly businesses, don't understand it, and they're the ones that are you know funding it. And and certainly, Joe Public haven't got a clue what it is. But I think now we're we're sort of eight years in. Um, there's a much more understanding of what we do, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to achieve. Um, and there's a much more working together within Lancaster, I would say. Oh, that's brilliant. How many bid members do you have? We have uh, 382 levy paying businesses. Um, and then we started uh, last year an associate bid membership. And again, I think we've got about 12, 13. So we're approaching 400. And uh, what are your bids priorities for this term? Um, yeah, we've got in our business plan, we had um, five key goals and objectives that our businesses had sort of, you know, said to us what they wanted us to focus on. And um, number one was marketing Lancaster as a destination, both for locals and visitors. They really wanted us to focus on that over the next five years. Uh, number two was a safe and secure Lancaster. Like many towns and cities, we, we have a certain level of ASB issues and um, we like to think we're controlling it. We'll never get rid of it, but we're certainly controlling it. Um, delivering um, high-level events to the area. We're quite famous for that. Over, I think that's over the eight years we've been going. I think that's probably what more people recognise the bid for. Um, improvements. So basically making the aesthetics of the city look better, nicer, cleaner. And number five, which is quite generic and quite loose, um, is business support. And that can mean different things to different businesses. So, yeah, there, there are there are five goals, Catherine. And have they changed for your third term? Yeah, they, they, they have a little bit. Um, again, I think... Like most bids, I think events and improvements are, are, are sort of always within your plan because most towns and cities want you to focus on that. But safe and secure wasn't in the last um, in the last uh, business plan, but we actually started working on it last year because the business the, the businesses told us they wanted us to. Um, so we've really that's why it's sort of the second priority and, and where. Quite a bit of the money is, is is going at the minute, and rightly so. We um, there's no point, uh, you know, advertising Lancaster as a great destination to come and put fantastic events on, if if people don't feel safe here and 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 there's lots of antisocial behaviour going on. So they all, I think, again, probably teaching you to, you to suck eggs. They all intertwine, don't they? They all they all complement one another. I think. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's changed a little bit. Our focuses have changed. As, as the needs of the business community have changed, really. But you've pivoted to respond to the, the needs of the bid and the businesses, haven't you? 
Absolutely, yeah. You know, it, it's it's uh, essential that that you know we listen to our our businesses. There's there's, I mean, it's exciting in in sort of Lancaster and the surrounding district. There's a lot of of things bubbling, a um, lot of plans, a lot of big plans, a lot of potential investment coming in. But as I say, repeating myself, unless you've got all your ducks in a row with with your 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 basics of of having a nice clean welcoming uh vibrant things going on people working together what what you know it's never going to come and if it comes it won't stay anyway yeah this, you're absolutely right you do need to build from the ground up don't you and get the basics right yeah, it, it, exactly and, and and it's and it's frustrating Catherine I mean just quick quick one for you you know we we but very low key event on a couple of Saturdays ago. I I worked it just some acts on the on the plinth in Market Square in Lancaster, which is lovely. For six weeks running, we're going to have some entertainment on the in Market Square on the plinth, um, which has has gone down really really well. But my point being, when I worked a couple of Saturdays ago, you know, from the minute I got there to the minute I left, there was a group of on street drinkers, you know, within. 10 metres of, of where we were doing all the entertainment. So you had people with smiles on their faces listening to music for the first time in ages. And then you had this dozen dozen people that were making it not quite as appealing, should we say. Frustrating. Yeah, absolutely. No, and I'd have, have very similar experiences. With so um, what were the challenges you were facing pre-pandemic and what were you doing that was working well to tackle those things? God, it seems like a lifetime ago, pre-pandemic. Um, you know, there was sort of personal challenges for me is that I was new to the job. Again, I, I, I came in in June 2019, so I just felt like I was getting my head around the job. Um, as I say, my, like I said before, people that had been before me had, had, had done a good job of, of establishing Lancaster bid. Um, but, you know, we wanted to take it in a slightly different and new direction. Um, and I felt that we were getting there and then bang, you know, this, this, this sort of COVID happened. But, but I think our big thing, and, and I alluded to it before is and that's why we brought it in early just before the pandemic, we're having, we're having um, growing problems with ASB. Um, so that's that's why we we decided to bring in this safe and secure Lancaster earlier. So we we work much closer now with the police and the local authority and, and various other organisations to try and multi-agency it together. So that was our that was our biggest challenge pre-pandemic, I would say. Um, and like a lot of other towns and cities, um, we'd had a bit of a bad run with dwindling foot flow, and yet the Christmas and early year before the pandemic broke, we, we were actually seeing real positive strides. So yeah, bit bit of a bit mixed really. And then what changed for you during the pandemic? How did you pivot your service delivery during the lockdowns? And, and did you have that scary moment where you thought, do I still have a job? What what do I do with <laughs> my businesses now, given that the majority <laughs> of them are closed? <laughs> All of the above. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it, it was weird, as I say, from a personal point of view, having, having felt like I'd just about got the hang of the role and what we wanted to do and what we needed to do. And, and we'd already started work on the business plan, uh, you know, well in advance with surveys out, what, what do you businesses want, you know, over the next five years? And then 
this thing that nobody knew knew about how long it would last what it was all about happened and 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 i have i have two part-time staff here who uh, you know support me and you know the decision was made to put them on furlough uh i agreed to work 80% of my hours for 80% of my salary but as we talk about Catherine on a regular basis uh, regular basis being bid managers sometimes can be a lonely place if it if it was lonely before it was even lonelier um when uh, the pandemic first broke i felt is that you know all you were getting were phone calls businesses needing your help desperately about funding and help i, I uh, businesses in tears on the phone it, it for the first few months as you say i just felt what what is this job all about uh, and 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 i worried for the future of bids because i thought I thought we might struggle as as organisations across the country, but I actually feel the opposite happened. I think we we um, suddenly became a much more valuable service to people, um, because we supported them through it. We, you know, here we just did little things by like buying sneeze screens and distance markers and 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 just you know everyday stuff that 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 um, that every business needed to get, but we supplied it for them. So we were a bit of a lifeline and that's really helped us as we started coming out of pandemic in different stages. And did you find you were able to engage with businesses you, you might have struggled to before because you were kind of changing your service delivery and the support you provided? Yeah, absolutely. And that's why, you know, when I mentioned business support earlier about, you know, how, it's quite a generic term. It was a big lesson I learned um, when pandemic broke is that for me, out of them nearly 400 businesses that we've got, that term business support, what, what we tried to do was, you know, usually you try and work as a collective, don't you? You try and work as the, the big organisation representing Lancaster. Let's look after as many levy payers as we can. Whereas we business support through the pandemic, whatever them businesses needed, if we could deliver it, we, we would. It helped if if 50 businesses needed it, but we were also there. I used to have a dead cheesy line with people, Catherine. I used to just say, listen, if I can help, we will. Um, if I can't, we'll try and find out who can help. If if no one can help, we'll have to explain why. And I can't, you know, people I think really uh, respected the the honesty and the and the um the endeavor to try and help them in, in their hour of need. Again, I know that sounds really cheesy, but it, it, it did feel like that sometimes. No, that's exactly right. And I, I don't think it's cheesy at all. I think it's um, doing exactly what you need to do as a bid manager in a time of crisis. So that's brilliant. Yeah. And it's, I think that what, what was great, you know, that was part of the plan. Um, you know, really I was doing a hell of a lot of engagement before lockdown. And then, you know, because everyone was isolating, whatever, the engagement be, become tough. I mean, you'll know your life was on Zoom, Teams or, or whatever, um, where I'm always, I've am i always been a face-to-face -face person. I much prefer seeing people face-to-face. -face. Um, but it just helped for them long-term relationships. Coming out of the back of it, there's there's miles more businesses that are engaged with Lancaster Bid than there, than there was pre-pandemic. Um, from a business point of view, it, it, the, 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 you know, the only silver lining in, in amongst it all is that, it's helped us develop relationships with more, or better relationships with more businesses, I think. That's brilliant. And I would say exactly the same for Blackburn as well, that we've been able to engage with businesses we wouldn't have previously. 
um, and wouldn't have necessarily been able to see the benefit of a bid. You know, I'm thinking your professional services and that kind of thing, because they don't directly benefit from some of the bigger activities like your events. Yeah. Um, because they don't rely on that footfall coming in or people seeing them when they come to events. So it's hard to, to show them what the benefit of a bid is, isn't it? But when It really have... is. And again, another lesson I learned is mm. sometimes you don't have to do a lot for them either. You know, you just have to be that, that voice on the phone or that you know, putting them in contact with somebody who can help them, whether it be someone at local authority or a, or another service provider or been a real eye opener for me. And yeah, just to so that they don't feel like they're on their own either, that this is really difficult circumstances and you might not have the answer, but you're going to do your damnedest to try and find it for them. Hence why we, like, like a lot of areas, I'm not saying we've invented it, but we've really jumped on the the sort of love local, buy local, shop local message because we feel that, you know, Joe Public have sort of gone more that way as well in, in amongst all this 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 pandemic. And I do I do get a lot of um, feedback from businesses. They do feel part of something bigger now. They don't feel like like you say like they're on their own. Um, you know, they feel like Lancaster's trying to pull together in in the right direction um which which can only be a good thing really definitely and love lancaster trips off the tongue doesn't it yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> <laughs> and so what are your challenges now and what are some of the initiatives you're planning to deliver over the next few months challenges we've um we're just recruiting as i said i have two members of staff we're just unfortunately uh one's leaving so we've got to bring and, and train somebody else in uh so that's a, a short-term challenge mm -hmm. we've like lots of areas this is where our, our big events sort of start now through the summer we have a, a fantastic event called festa italia that's the, probably out of everything we organize is the most work for an event that we put on um, and as I say we're down one person um, and then run up to Christmas um, we're implementing on safe and secure Lancaster we're implementing a system called DISC that I know you're really familiar with but we've got to get that off the ground and up and running we've got an awards happening um, it's yeah it's one it's that time of the year Catherine where I don't know whether I'm coming or going right now you say that the brilliance of the job is when you you know you, you you do a project you do it right and you get you get yeah. the feedback that the majority of businesses liked it appreciated it it's done what it was meant to do and and that's the buzz for me so. yeah what positive thing have you learned during the pandemic either professionally or personally that you'll take forwards with you into the future wow what a good question what have i learned I think you've probably heard from it from a business point of view. I think you've probably heard it is that, um, you know, that uh, linking to number five on the business plan, it's that business support is is really listen to what every business is saying. Yes, it, as I said, it's great to come up with initiatives and projects that help the greater good. But sometimes you can help them individual businesses as well with with things that they've got on in their own world. And it doesn't take loads of time. And the benefit of doing it for them, it, you know, is that engagement, the respect and, and everything else that goes with it. So I think I think that's the that's the learn for me professionally. Personally, um, I'm not one of these people that has suddenly had a complete reset. Um, 
I've hated this pandemic like everybody probably has, but I mean, I haven't even enjoyed, some people have enjoyed bits of it and this, you know, um, working from home, I hate, um, I, I'm a people person, I, you know, so I suppose personally, I, even though I did it a lot before, I like being around people is that, um, and I didn't like to ever say no to anything before, but I just say no to nothing anymore, Catherine. Uh-huh. But that's probably why I'm tired as well, because I, 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 I do things out of work and I'm just I just like to be busy and I like to be around people and whether that's family or friends. And I suppose that's the that's the personal learn is don't don't take it for granted um, because lockdowns are absolutely rubbish um, <laughs> for me. And that's there's an appreciation of that, isn't there? That you know that you're a people person, and so you need to be around people, and so it means that you can cultivate your environment so that it, it's what suits you, can't you? Now that we're coming out of the pandemic, so absolutely, absolutely, yeah, yeah. And I suppose it's just making sure that you do those things that you really enjoy because you can certainly appreciate them now, can't you? Absolutely. Yeah. As I say, I miss, miss travel so much. Miss, oh. really, I really feel that I've, you know, we're, we're big travellers and I feel like it's, you know, I've had two years of being halted. I've, I've seen amazing places around the world. So again, again, that's part of the, the bigger picture is that I'll probably speed up some places that I want to go in the world over the next sort of, well, whenever we can. Um, so, yeah. Definitely not going to miss out on any of that. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed no. that. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed no. that. Thank you. No, you're welcome. Thanks for asking me. Just a couple of notes on what Tony said there. ASB is antisocial behaviour and the DISC system is an information sharing system which helps to detect and prevent crime in an area. It was really good chatting with Tony. As he said, it can be a bit lonely being a bid manager and so it's really helpful to connect with other bids, share experiences and learning and just remember that you're not on your own. So, what have we learned about the state of the high street in this chapter? Before the pandemic, high streets nationally were seeing declines in visitors and footfall. The bigger cities were faring better in that they were seeing less of a decline because they offered a blended experience of retail, leisure and business that people were seeking. However, those very things that made cities stronger before coronavirus hit made them vulnerable in the face of lockdowns and massive changes to working and leisure habits. People staying local, working from home and not being able to travel means that more local centres and seaside destinations are seeing a stronger recovery. What's also apparent is that how we work has had and will have a huge impact on town and city centres and will set the tone for how high streets change and adapt going forwards. It's potentially going to be more about quality rather than quantity of time spent in the office or workplace and that then affects how people interact with and use their town and city centres. It might change the peak days and times for footfall. Social spaces might also become collaborative workspaces and how long and why people visit their high street might change. The reality is that there have been major changes as a result of the pandemic and there continues to be changes as people get used to living with COVID-19. 
Our town and city centres need to be a reflection of the needs of their local communities and so we need to monitor the behaviours of the community and work to adapt and evolve our high streets accordingly. Thank you for listening to this first chapter of Rewriting the High Street. I hope you've enjoyed it and found it interesting. If you'd like to get in touch with me, you can email me at rewritingthehighstreet at gmail.com. I'm aiming to release chapters regularly, but please bear with me as I'm recording this podcast alongside my very busy full-time job. In the meantime, take care and I'll see you next time. Bye!